welcome to the second season of Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they have faced throughout their careers, how they overcame them and what tips they have for girls of my age. Today my guest is Accenture's Head of Innovation for Europe, Lucy Cooper. Lucy also sits on the World Economic Forum for Young Leaders, amongst other organisations that she works with. Thanks for joining me today, Lucy. Can we start by you telling us all how your how your career took you to Accenture? Yeah. Hi, Grace, and thank you so much for having me. So, um, yeah, Accenture. I've actually had two careers at Accenture. There's a a nice name for people who leave Accenture and come back in the company. We call them boomerangs, um, like the little Australian, uh, a, you know, tool, I guess. And so I actually started my career at Accenture as a graduate. So when I was at university, um, didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left uh, university, had thought I was going to be a lawyer and then didn't go down that road and went to university to study law. Did one year of law, having been my whole life from a young adult convinced uh, I was going to be a lawyer because of my uh, debating um, and arguing capabilities with my family and friends, let's put it <laughs> yeah. that way. And then went to university, did a year of law and really just found that it wasn't for me. And so it made this quite big decision to switch at the end of my first year to politics, which we can talk a little bit about. And then and then didn't really know what I wanted to do and spoke to some people at university, spoke to some of my parents' friends and took the decision that actually management consulting is quite a good way to go and experience lots of different industries. You visit, you know, you work with clients. That's what consulting is. You advise big corporate clients on various parts of their business. And so you get a lot of exposure to lots of different industries and lots of different clients. So I thought it would be a good way to sort of start my career. And then I, I left after four years. I thought there must be more to life than consulting. And I wanted to go and try something different um, and spent some some years out doing various things in kind of entrepreneurship and startup, which um, we can chat about. And then came back, actually, because of Accenture's commitment to innovation, which was a space I'd landed in by that point. And so um, my first introduction, Grace, to it was straight out of university. Well, uh you, you said that you you wanted to be a lawyer, but then you didn't like it. So you did politics at Exeter University. How important do you think it is to go to university? And even though you wanted to be a lawyer, was politics in a career even on your mind? Yeah. So I think um, it's a great question. And of course, I think times are quite different now. So when I went to university um, in the early 2000s, the government was in a stage of really, um, really delivering the message that higher education was the most important thing. Right. So if you were able yeah. to put yourself into university, into higher education, the, the government policies were really designed towards trying to maximize everybody going to university and the funding that they were giving and making it very cheap and things like that. I think that message has changed now slightly. And actually, I think where we are now and you see some of the big um, employers, some of the big tech companies like Google and Apple are starting to take away university degrees as a requirement for jobs in their company. And I think that's actually a really wonderful thing to see, because what it does is it increases 
the type of cognitive diversity that you can get in a company. And I really believe cognitive diversity is incredibly important if companies want to be innovative. And that's not just whether you're a man or a woman, you know, what race you are. It also includes things like your socioeconomic background, because that's the lived experience that people have comes from all different types of how people live their life. And so you want as much of that lived experience in your company as possible, because then you're representing as much as your customer base as possible. And you're more likely to deliver you know, meaningful, impactful products and services or whatever it is that you're delivering. So actually, I think it was important for me to go to university. My advice now would be, I think, to do what feels right to give you the experience that you're looking for to make the impact that you want in the world. And lots of people, lots of my friends who now run businesses never went to university or they didn't finish university. And so I think there's a still a, con- a preconception that it's absolutely necessary yeah. And while that's still mostly the case, Grace, and I think it would be untruthful of me to say it would be easy to get a corporate job, you know, not going through university at this time. I think it is changing. And I think there's more of an understanding of wanting those socioeconomic, you know, backgrounds, all of them. Accenture, for example, has an apprentice a program where you can go on to the, you know, analyst scheme at Accenture without being a graduate coming straight out of school. And so I think there are companies that are starting to understand, you know, that that talent and skills comes from lots of different experiences. For me, it was a very good thing to do. Um, but I went to university now quite a long time ago. <laughs> well, well, obviously, we've all been hit by COVID with shops only just reopening and businesses trying to get back to what we now call the new normal, which doesn't seem that normal, to be honest. How have you had to deal with the COVID-19 issues, both personally and professionally in Accenture? Yeah, I mean, it's been professionally and personally probably the hardest thing I've ever, you know, one of the hardest or the hardest things. Professionally, definitely the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. And personally, one of, um, you know, I got COVID at the beginning of the year. I was stuck abroad with my fiancé and we had like a really... It was a really tough time mentally um, for me, um, and I'm still dealing with the fallout of the anxiety that I have as a result of having OC, uh, having had COVID. And so I think um, for me personally, it's been really tough. I feel very grateful that we've both seemed to have recovered um, and, you know, don't have signs of kind of so much long lasting impact and are healthy and have our lives and our health. And I think that's incredible. Professionally, I think um, in many ways, Accenture was uh, well prepared for something like this, as well prepared as you could be for such a you know, um, horrendous pandemic and health crisis. But because so many of our people work in this kind of fluid environment where you work at clients on your laptop and then you work at home and then you work in an office, but you don't have a desk, you hot desk, Actually, that flexibility of fluidity of the way that Accenture has always worked meant that everyone just going 100 percent remote in some ways, I think, was much easier for us. Um, And we managed to make that switch very quickly. I think what we had to really learn, Grace, was um, how do you keep the community of of those 550,000 people together? So we actually I was involved with this chief HR officer and and the CMO in creating a platform that we called More Together Now, which we stood up in three days, which was all about how 
we started to care for our people. So it was a place where people could come and um, share, you know, blogs, videos, tips on how do you home, how are they finding homeschooling children? You know, how are they finding exercising and doing, you know, yoga poses that you could do at your desk and, you know, looking after the well-being of our people. So I think that was one thing that we really focused on. The second thing that became quite apparent after the first couple of months was that different parts of the world were having different experiences with COVID at different times. Accenture has a huge amount of its workforce in places like India and the Philippines, which are still in a position of low vaccination rates and, you know, very, um, very much still in the eye of the storm of the pandemic. And so our CEO, Julie Sweet, got together with um, several other, you know, CEOs of businesses and started sending significant amounts of, you know, company backed aid money and um, vaccines and vaccine programs to these countries. So actually Accenture runs vaccination centers in, you know, for kind of our Indian employees and things like that. So as a business, we've really had to step into that space of, you know, societally looking after our employees. And so having to deal with that as a multinational organization with 550,000 people has been really interesting. And then for me professionally, Getting to know a team and build that trust and that psychological safety where I've never met some of my team members because we did a big organizational change at Accenture in March 2020. Um, so I've never met a, lo- a lot of the leadership team that I sit on, the European leadership team, and actually people who are some of my direct reports who have come new into position I've never met. The benefit of that is I've had some amazing team members join from places all across Europe um, that maybe wouldn't have come across my desk in terms of working for me had we all been still in the office. Maybe I would have wanted to have had more people who I could see person to person every day. Now I have access to this talent all across Europe and we can do those jobs remotely. So it's been it's been really challenging, um, but a, a lot of learnings and, and new insight that have come out of it. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a lot of good has come out of it now. No, nah, what were you, you going to say? Sorry. I was going to say, yes, a lot of good has come out of it. But I think um, we have to be so aware of the, yeah. the kind of the loss and the hardship, I think, that, that many of our colleagues and families have been going through and, um, and, and you know, be as, you know, empathetic and cognizant to, to those situations as we possibly can be. Definitely. Now, I read that you writes blogs for the Huffington Post. Yeah. I was wondering, how did you get into that? And which of your blogs for it do you think has made the most impact? Yeah, so I actually it's been a few years since I wrote for HuffPo, but I do have a blog series on LinkedIn now um, that we publish. Um, we actually haven't published in a couple of weeks. We're kind of taking August off. But normally we publish once or twice a week, a combination of blogs and videos blogs, blogs and blogs. Um, But I got into it, uh, got into the HuffPo when I was a member of the World Economic Forum Global Shapers, which is this amazing community of under 30s. I'm now in the the Young Global Leaders, which is um, under under 37 um, sort of people who lead significant parts of a business. But when the Global Shapers, which was for under 30s, was people who were trying to make a change in the world, doing something society and community based. And that program was attached to Huffington Post. And one day we kind of got this email saying, would you be interested in sort of blogging for HuffPo's platform? And it was honestly one of the most exciting, but also scary emails I'd ever gotten, because 
I was never, you know, despite apart from writing essays at university, I'd never really thought about my writing. You know, I'd never been given lessons on how do you write? How do you sort of think like a journalist? How do you structure an article? What does a good blog look like? So I had no confidence in um, how would I do this? But a lot of desire and excitement towards wanting to do it. You know, I've always thought what a wonderful thing to be able to be a blogger um, and to put your ideas out there succinctly sort of into the world for people to kind of, you know, digest and agree or disagree with. Yeah. And so it was a very scary sort of thing for me to say, yes, I'd like to do this and then go through this very tiring process of writing my first couple of blogs where you're you agonize over I mean you know Grace doing this you sort of agonize over every word or every comment and you you then press publish and it's so scary of like how are people going to respond to it but I mean the advice I have is um you know sort of feel that fear and do it anyway it gets as I'm sure you can comment much easier the more you do it you learn from the people what people like what they don't like what they engage with what they don't engage with it gets quicker I mean I think my first blog probably took me two weeks uh, to get up and running because I was so worried about publishing it um and so I'm really grateful that I started doing that in my mid-20s because now sort of 10 years later I can I it's something I'm much more comfortable with and something I really enjoy in terms of content that people seem to really like I mean on my LinkedIn series now people seem to really resonate with kind of two areas that I talk about one stories of innovation within business so we showcase particular companies and what they're doing and we talk to some of their leaders and secondly a little bit I guess why we're, we're here today that sort of women in tech and women in tech series and so that's what I tend to sort of talk about and write about. And you can, you know, find more of that on my LinkedIn. And and there's lots of interesting guests that I have, like me being a guest with you. (laughs) Now, uh, I also know that you did some TEDx talks. Were you nervous for your first first (laughs) TEDx talk? And what advice would you give to girls who want to get involved in public speaking? Yeah, so I was really, I was really nervous. I was really, really nervous. I think it was the most preparation that I'd ever done um, for for a talk. And I remember that just before, because you go to quite a small auditorium. I think there are about two hundred and fifty, three hundred people actually in the room. But before I walked on stage, the the kind of stage manager whispered to me, "We've got thirty thousand people online and and oh, going brilliant. up." And I. Just thought, oh, my gosh. Um, so I was really nervous. Um, but I actually spoke about millennials in the workplace, which at the time as as a millennial and again at the time in my late 20s was something I was really passionate about. And it was it was one of the most rewarding experiences and again um, has helped me since. Although I've I've never had a huge problem with public speaking. I'm always it doesn't. Um, that made me nervous because of, you know, representing the yeah. TED brand, the TEDx brand. But I love speaking in public and my advice I think um for for young adults young human beings who want to get involved in public speaking is there's tons of stuff that you can do in and around school for free and tons of these organizations that you can get involved with so one I guess is drama so I loved drama so I was always doing plays and you know getting up and you know learning lines and practicing you know kind of how you move and talk and things like that on stage and I think that really helped me 
And secondly, I did things like model United Nations, which is more debate. So I would um, practice debating and, you know, kind of sitting in an environment where you would um, have to think on your feet um, in public in front of other people. And so those were some of the forums that I got involved in from a very young age. And so finding the, the, the debate forums, the free debate kind of classes and groups that are around things like, you know, what you, you're doing and, and your family are involved in and getting involved in those kinds of forums are really, really good ways to practice public speaking. Um, and if you're a little bit older at university, again, all of these all of these kind of groups are available to you. And that's kind of the best place to start. Well, I definitely think that stage manager should not have told you that there was <laughs> people watching. That didn't help. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you should have just told you that it was just the 300 people. I know it would have made me feel better, but we, we got through. <laughs> well, when we look at social media, which yeah. I know plays a huge part in your job in Accenture as a digital company. What advice would you give girls, say, about my age, about how to use it and maybe definitely not use it? Yeah, I mean, I, so I think I'm definitely still learning. I, you know, I'm not quite a digital native. I do remember life without the Internet and having to kind of shout at my brother and my dad to get off the phone because I wanted to use the dial up and things like that. So I do remember I do remember being a child and a young adult without any of these things. So for me, I think it's a bit different of an experience because it's something that has arrived in my life rather than something that's always been there. But I think I kind of a few pieces of advice that even I struggle with in my 30s. So there are so there's social media I don't use. So I have a Twitter account. I don't use it. I don't go on Twitter. I actually don't use Facebook anymore. Um, I do use Instagram. I do love Instagram, but I've curated an Instagram account that is only with people I follow that make me feel good. I don't follow people, you know, I don't follow, you know, people who have my idea of perfection as a woman that make me feel bad about the fact that I'm not that perfect woman. Yeah. I don't follow people who, you know, put opinions out there about what you should live your life as that that make me feel lesser in myself. But I do follow people who have completely diverse points of view and, I, and, and educate me on lots of different areas of the world of which I am not educated, but in a way that I think is positive and additive to my life. So the first piece of advice I would give is like, don't be afraid to unfollow or step away from people who just make you inherently feel bad inside yourself and that everybody feels that way, like in, including grown women like me can can open social media and feel incredibly bad about themselves. And so I think being um sensitive about how you feel when you go on social media and trying to adjust what you you know expose yourself to so that it's used as a force for good I think you know speaking to friends and sort of speaking up and out about the struggles that come with social media and sharing how you kind of um adapt you know so the mind don't mindlessly scroll and, you know, being able to put your phone down and walk away and, you know, and, and go outside and go for a walk or, yeah. you know, jump on a, a gaming room with a friend and catch up and things like that, I think are also really important. And so, you know, using your family and things for support on 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 how online can make you feel um, and communicating it and showing that vulnerability, I think, is also really important. And And to know that it's not just young adults who are feeling this pain and this pressure but fully grown adults too um and to understand that if, if you do find social media hard 
And it's okay, one, to step away, and two, you're definitely kind of not alone. And and I think if you said how you felt to someone, I think you'd probably get a really um, open reaction about how other people are feeling as well. Now, before we go, can you tell me a little bit about your role at the World Economic Forum and also at YPO? Yeah, sure. So these are two organizations that bring together um, business leaders from all around the world into kind of peer peer communities. So YPO stands for Young Presidents Organization and World Economic Forum is the WEF. So the World Economic Forum um, has uh, for, you know, 40 years, 40, 50 years been this incredible place where business leaders have come together one, you know, once a year, norm, the famous one is in Davos in, in, in the Alps once a year, where world leaders and business leaders come together to discuss some of the most pressing issues, you know, of that year. Yeah. Um, and then they have several other sort of sessions, um, meetings all around the world. Obviously, they've all been virtual recently and they have a couple of groups. As I mentioned, they've got the global shapers, which are for under 30s trying to make a difference in the world. And then they've got the young global leaders, which are, under 37 people who have a significant position in a large corporate who they think will be future kind of leaders at some point in time. And really what it is, Grace, is it's a cohort of people who come together and they learn from each other. So you have whole different types of formats that you get involved with, some very informal face to face, some there are industry programs you can get involved with. Accenture actually runs a program with the young global leaders that I'm involved with around sustainability and innovation. And it's about bringing together these next generation leaders and their thinking and their minds and that cognitive diversity I was talking about earlier to create some of the accelerated change that we need to see in the world. So that's a little bit like what the World Economic Forum stands for. Young Presidents Organization is a bit more like peer to peer kind of coaching and community. And I have to say, I'm in a what's called a forum, which is a small group with six gentlemen business leaders. And it's been an extraordinary experience for me to be in a closed room environment, Chatham House rules. It's all under the strictest confidentiality where you can share how you're finding kind of your life and your progression through all parts of your life, not just business. And I feel like I have this private board of advisors who are helping me move through my life and, and, and sort of make better, more meaningful decisions they are they have costs involved. They're not unfortunately available for everybody and there are processes to apply. But I think the point I would take away from it for the the young humans who are listening to this is it's about finding that community yeah. that is going to support you on the journey that you're going to go forward on, because life is really hard and it's going to throw you things that you didn't expect. And the number one output that has helped me the most grace in my life has been these friendships, communities, support groups that I've managed to be able to build so that when the going gets tough, there are people there who can help support me either from their personal experience or from how well they know me. And these are two ways that I use that. But actually, the biggest support I've had throughout my life is my group of girlfriends who have, you know, we've kind of grown up together and we've gone through our personal and professional challenges together and we stick by each other when it gets really hard and that's free you know that's just about the amazing the amazing you know community that you build around you or what I call my urban family well I really enjoyed chatting with you today Lucy thank you so much and I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their careers 
Keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as I talk to many more brilliant women. Thank you to our sponsors, Haynes Watts, Levi Strauss, Swinton Insurance and Talk Talk for their amazing and continued support.